Good evening. If you will be turning to John 17. John 17. Brother Bob wasn't able to make it uh, this Sunday or, or today. Vicki had come up positive for COVID. He said he wasn't having any symptoms, but she'd been in the bed for at least five days last he told me. He hadn't had any symptoms, but he knew he'd probably be contagious. And he's going to keep an eye on her, so as you can, remember him. Here in John 17, our Lord is praying, and we get to read it. That's something. Those 11 apostles sitting around with him, that's been with him that whole evening, that whole night, early into the morning. And they got to hear him with their ears. They heard him pray to the Father. And then the Lord preserved that prayer in John's ears. And through the Holy Spirit moved his hand to write it down and we get to read it. How important is that? What a thought. I want to give you my points before we read our text. I hope it's very simple. I want to go slow. We'll see if that helps. The work is done. We like that, don't we? I have to preach the text. The work is done. We've got a job to do because the work is done. Now, let's read the text, okay? Our Lord's praying. God's speaking to God here. John 17, verse 13. I pray the Lord will be pleased to teach us this and to give us a great deal of joy and and happiness and contentment and motivation for what he's praying to those apostles, and it's for us too. John 17, verse 13. And now come I to thee, that these things, and these things that I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Does the world hate you? Remember all the friends you had? Now they just, I mean, they'd cut your throat if they got the opportunity to. He knows what he's talking about, don't he? I've given them thy word, and because they, we have his word, in context and understanding, Knowledge and understanding. The world hath hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not, this is my text, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Now, we're not of the world, just as the Lord's not of the world. This ain't our home. We're passing through. And the Lord says, don't take them out of it. What you're in right now, stay in it. That's what Christ is praying. What you're going through right now, the Lord God Almighty said, keep them in it right now. Stay right where they're at. Leave them right there. I got something for them to do. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Thou shouldest keep them from evil, from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And as thou has sent me into the world. Even so, I have also sent them into the world. You're not of the world. You're in the world. Father, keep them in the world. I sent them there. Everything they're going through, night and day, while they're awake, while they're asleep, I'm doing it. That ought to make us happy. 
He said, I want my joy to be fulfilled in him. As thou hast sent me in the world, verse 18, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. That they also might be sanctified through the truth. That's the 11 sitting right there. But not just them. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. The work's done. We've got a job to do because the work's done because we got a job to do through their word. They got a job to do, don't they? We just read the job they had to do. John had to do. Christ prayed that we be kept. All the while we are kept, we are fit to be in the Father's presence because he's saved us. He's given us his word. He's prayed that we are to be safe. Safe. We're to be kept from evil. That's the evil one. Uh, Ourselves, sin, everything. We're protected. He prayed that his people be safe and that we have joy. Father, keep them. Keep them right where I got them. I have them. I've kept them. And I want them to have joy. Oh, Brother Pink had some things to say about that. I'll paraphrase it for you. Is that if a believer doesn't have joy, it's because they've lost communion with the Holy God. That's so, isn't it? That's hard. That's heavy. Who can, who can bear such hard sayings? It's so. If we're miserable, it's because we're looking to the world. We're looking to ourselves. We're looking to our works. We're looking to our stuff from the past, our experiences from 40 years ago or whenever, or four days ago, or four minutes ago. We're looking not Christ. That's what we're looking to. And we're miserable. Now, when we look to him, you that believe, you happy? Are you sad? There ain't no sadness when we look to him. We get sad sometimes when we look to ourselves, what he had to bear that's us. But he's our joy, isn't it? What work has already been done? We got There's work that's done. We got a job to do. Because it's done, That we got a job to do. So what's the work that's done? Look at verse 12. While I was with them in the world, that's where we are now, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. His people, those are given to him before time, and none of them is lost. I've kept them all. But the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He wasn't given. But he protected him the whole time, didn't he? He fed him. He breathed. Judas breathed the Lord's oxygen the whole time to serve his purpose, just as Pharaoh. Can you imagine that? Being a king, Moses come to you, God's prophet come to you, and I don't know what nerve they think they got to talk to him. <laughs> what, made, what made Pharaoh think that was a good idea? He said, who are you? Who's this God? And the Lord told him, said, I've raised you up, show my power. Ooh, we ain't much, are we? Mankind ain't nothing. Back in chapter 16, our Lord said, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be offended. There's not a scandal, there's not shame, and there's not sadness. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Well, I left this place, and I left that place, and I left that place. Well, I guess that's fine and dandy. Sooner or later, you start talking about the truth, they're going to kick you out. (laughs) They're going to run you out of town. You can't bury your dead here no more. You can't get married here. You stay away from us. If it wasn't against the law, we'd kill you. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you thinketh that he doeth God a service. I'm helping God out, and I'm going to get rid of his man. How many places can you name it that's happening right now? It ain't nothing changed. They think they're doing God a favor. 
by going after his prophets or his prophets' people, his family. He said, I got to go away. You're going to be kicked out of synagogues. You're going to have a hard time. The work given to him to do is going to come to fruition. This hour's coming. I'm going to go lay down my life. That's good news. He's going to go away. He's going to go to the Father. He says in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. He was with them then. He says in John 16, 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament. You're going to be sad, but the world's going to rejoice. They're going to think they got me. He's going to hang on that cross and have his hands pierced through and his feet pierced through, and they're going to mock him and put a crown on him and spit on him, and, and, and even those that love him and cowardice are going to say crucify him by keeping their mouth shut. And that's me, and that's you, and that's everybody else on earth. He said, you shall be sorrowful. Not you might be. Well, you're going to be a skosh sorrowful. He said, you shall be. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy because you're going to know what I did. I'll give you understanding. This had to happen. He came to save sinners. That's what the work was given him to do. In John 16, 33, it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that ye might have peace, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's where the trouble is. But be of good cheer. I've overcome that world. Now don't leave it. You're going to stay in it because the work's done. You've got a job to do because the work's done. In chapter 17, he said, Father, those you've given me, I've kept them. I've double kept them. That's what we looked at last week. Now, what's that? Remember what that meant? The second one? You can't escape. They ain't going to sneak out through my hands. They're in my hands. I got them. That's the work that's completed. It's done. Now, there's a job to be done since the work's done. Look at verse 13, John 17, 13. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I'm going to give them a job to do. It's good when you work hard and you get your paycheck because you know you put in a good day's work and it feels good, don't it, son? You've been working hard lately. It, 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 that's what God designed us to do, to produce things and to go work. And it feels good when you do what you're supposed to be doing, whether that's cooking or praying or sleeping or whatever it is. The Lord gave us putting my hand to do right now, and it's good. Our joy is going to be fulfilled. And then knowing what work's done. He's done everything. <laughs> we got sweet floors. Let's sweep floors. I'm excited. That ain't, that ain't much compared to the eternal payment for sin. I wasn't going to tell it, but I will. I got people scared to death by AI and all this other garbage and nonsense because they ain't got enough sense to fear a holy God. So they come up, they imagine things. And uh, I got Tom Harding's bulletin a couple weeks ago, and Siri recommended I add something to my calendar. And it said, do you want to make an appointment to pay the sin debt? I got to hold my pastor. I said, Siri don't understand what she's talking about. She don't know what sin is, just like every other little being walking around this place here don't know. You don't know what that means. We do. If God's taught you what that is, that'll break your heart. You're going to have some sorrow over that, but that sorrow's turned into joy. Didn't he say that? He was right. His words proved to me again. <laughs> The work's done. He said, I've given them thy word. Verse 14. And the world hath hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Leave them right there. But the world hates them. 
Uh-huh. Keep them right there. But that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Keep them right where I got them. You happy? Uh, a lot of times I ain't. I'm going to tell you something that believers experience. And I'm going to prove it to you in God's word. So let's, bear with me, okay? The Lord's praying here. He prayed that we stay here in this world that hates us and it's got all its problems and its troubles and its strains and, and everything that's, that we don't like. It pleased him to ask the Father, keep him right where I got him. I wonder how many times I pray for something. I asked my wife this the other day. And then in holy, perfect intercession, my Lord prays 180 degrees from what I just asked. What do you think? Lord, let this happen. Lord, take me out of this world. Nope. Here's what he meant to say. Are you, are you thankful for divine? Does that make you want to get a prayer chain going and get you a bunch of lists going and all that stuff like that? No, look, look, Father, you, I pray that you pray for me. <laughs> He's praying for us right here. Give me the wisdom to ask that you are my wisdom. And give me the wisdom to ask that you are my intercession. And give me the wisdom to ask that you are my sanctification. Well, I'll get sanctification in a minute. I'll get too spun up. David prayed his son to be healed, didn't he? It said in 2 Samuel 12, 15, And Nathan departed his house. Unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. He was very sick, and David therefore besought God for the child. He prayed, and David fasted. That means he couldn't eat. Well, I'm not going to not. I'm not going to have peanut butter and jelly sandwich today because that's going to debt God to me. No, you eat something, David. I can't. They tried feeding him. He couldn't eat. Get up off the floor, David. Take you a shower. Get let's put some. Let's put a bed underneath you. I can't. Just limp, wouldn't he? He besought God for the child, and he fasted, and he went in, and he lay all night upon the earth, didn't even get in the bed. He was praying that his son live. Did the Lord pray that his son live? No. He killed his son. That's what was best. Did he take David with him? Left David in the world, didn't he? And they said, he's dead. David heard him talking. And he arose from the earth and he washed and he anointed himself and he changed his apparel. He got dressed up because he's going to go to God's house. And he worshiped God. And they said, what, what are you doing? How are you eating now? And you're cleaned up and you, you're joyful. What's wrong with you? And he said unto his servants with him, What thing is this that thou hast done? They're asking him. And he said, You've, You fasted and you wept for the child when he's alive, but now he's dead and you can't, you're just going to eat and you're fine. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? And God was gracious to him and killed his son. And God was gracious to us and his people throughout time in killing his son. He said, but now he's dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He's with the Lord. Matter settled. He prayed his son lived, didn't he? The apostle Paul asked three times that that thorn in his flesh be removed. And you know, I thought, I was walking real early this morning, and I thought that thorn in the flesh may have just simply been his flesh. Go read Romans 7. He knew what that was. He may have just said three times, Lord, take me out of this body of death. The meekest man ever born of Adam, Moses. He led the children of Israel for 40 years through there, and they tried killing him every other day. And 
He was so patient and so meek and so long-suffering, wasn't he? He finally had it enough and popped. And, but before that, he, he went to the Lord in Numbers 11. He said, I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it's too heavy for me. I can't do this. I'm beyond my wit's end. And he said, and if thou thus deal with me, if this is how it's going to be, he said, I pray thee. Moses prayed before the work was done. I pray thee out of hand if I have found favor in thy sight and let me not see my wretchedness. He says, kill me. If thou deal thus with me, kill me. That was the meekest man on the face of the earth who was given something to do and he got most of the way done and he gave up, threw his hands there and said, kill me right now, God. Kill me. What was the answer? The Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people. Go get me seventy hard-working, understandable, uh, knowledgeable men that, are, that, are, that know the Lord. Officers over them, and bring them to the tabernacle of conversation, that they may stand there with thee. Go get you some help. I got work to do. These people need to be preached to. That was the answer. Moses prayed, God, kill me. And God said, no, I got a people out there and you got to go preach to them. Why? To bear the burden of the people. That was the meekest man that ever preached, that walked the earth. What about the most, that peevish prophet? I wrote down a bunch of synonyms of a thesaurus for peevish. Grouchy, testy, petty, crabby. Old Jonah, God's prophet, Jonah. Moses was God's prophet. Jonah was God's prophet. It says Jonah 4, 8, And it came to pass when the sun did arise, and God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah after he dried up his gourd, that he fainted, and he wished himself to die, and said, It's better for me to die than to live. God just used him to save a couple million people, didn't he? He went up on the side of the hill to watch it, see if the Lord's going to burn it all down. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou... Do well to be angry for the gourd. And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Oh, he doubled down. You ever doubled down? Was God faithful? And he said, Lord. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up by night and perished by night. You're, you're so mad over this gourd that just kept a little bit of shade over your head. And then the Lord said in Jonah 4.11, And should I not spare Nineveh? Is you going to have compassion over Nineveh? You just preached to him for days walking through there. That great city wherein there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern their left hand from their right hand. There's a bunch of babes there. A whole bunch of them. And much cattle also? Question mark. The Lord said, Shouldn't I have saved my people? Jonah says, Kill me. I want to die. I'm ready. I, just, I did a whole bunch. <laughs> He ends with a question mark. The book of Jonah ends with a question mark. What was the answer? Jonah was already used to save a couple million people. It's the greatest addition to the body of Christ ever in recorded history. And he said, hadn't he done enough? Nope. What's the answer? Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. There in our text, John 17, verse 15. It says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Why is mankind on this earth? That's a question that was big, real big when I was a kid growing up. Why are we here? Getting in philosophical classes and all those things, reading in books. And why? That's, a, that's the biggest why we have. Why are we here? Why is mankind on this earth? I'll tell you the answer. 
I hope I, for you young people, I got enough gray hairs that you might might believe me. I know what I know the truth. We are here. It's for the glory of God, for the furtherance of the gospel, and by doing that, His glory and the furtherance of the gospel, God's saving His people that He has in this world. And then when He saves them, whether He's actively doing that by calling them out as we're seeing it, or we're just having a service where everybody in that service is believers, I don't know. But those that He calls out, He comforts them. And he benefits them and he teaches them because we got something to learn. All of us that are here, too. Moses and Elijah, that great representation of the law and the prophets, came to the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't they? Moses asked the Lord, said, Lord, kill me. And he said, No, I got work for you to do. What happened to Elijah? Representation of all the prophets. He said, Lord, kill me. I can't do it. I have a message of condemnation. I'm out preaching here. Ain't nobody believing. Sleeping through every message I have and they're throwing rocks at me if they're awake and they're trying to kill me at every turn. They hate your gospel. They've all turned from you. Just kill me. Elijah in, in 1 Kings 18, he just mocked the 450 prophets of Baal. <laughs> Stood in front of them. I mean, made fun of them. Made a mockery of them. Caught down fire from heaven. What a prophet. Oh, man. Man used a God. Was he God's man? Was he God's man sent to that place? You better believe he was. And then what happened? Right after, Jezebel sent word, said, I'm going to kill you. And he took off running. <laughs> he ran for the hills, didn't he? Jezebel said she's going to kill him. It said he went for his life. He didn't go for a trot. He didn't go at a snail's pace. He took off running. 1 Kings 19, it says he came to a cave and he lodged there and he went and found that juniper tree, remember? The angel came, fed him, went back to sleep, woke him up again, fed him another time, said, you're going to need some strength for this, buddy. Hold on to your hat. And he went to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Lord, don't ask questions for information. He's teaching his prophet something. That one he's going to meet on a Mount of Transfiguration and talk about that death that he should accomplish. That work that's done, he goes and wakes him up, don't he? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. And that's true. He did. He said, I went to all the children of Israel. I, I, I preached to them, and they've forsaken your covenant, and they threw down your altars, and they burnt the whole place down, and they pulled out swords on me. And then the Lord sent some things to him, didn't he? He sent a strong wind, knocked some trees down, maybe had a big old brush fire from wind. And he said, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And he went and he sent an earthquake and the whole earth shook. Sometimes we need our earth shook up. We need our world shook up. But the Lord wasn't in the earth shaking. He wasn't in the wind. He sent a big fire. The Lord wasn't in the fire. Then he sent a still, small voice. That was the Lord speaking. Wasn't what Elijah expected. Wasn't what natural man expects, is it? It couldn't be unheard. That's a voice of many waters. Still small voice. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face. And he went outside that cave. And then the Lord spoke to him again. He said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Isn't that exactly what he answered? Ask him. He just asked him that. And he answers him verbatim, word for word, exactly what he said the first time. I'm, I'm jealous for the Lord of hosts and these children. They won't listen and just kill me. Take me now. You know what the Lord's answer was? 
He said, I want you to go down this way. He said, you're going to call Elisha here in a minute. He said, but I've reserved myself 7,000. Let me, let me tell you what that means. That doesn't mean that there was 7,000 good moral Christians out there that are already serving the Lord and they're doing great on their own, and so you got battle buddies. That means there's 7,000 of mine there. Now go tell them about it. Go tell them about the finished work, Elijah. He had no different message. Noah preached was a preacher of righteousness. Not go get your own, not sanctify yourself. Nothing's changed. Go preach to them, Elijah. Go preach to them. Go preach my word to them. The work is finished. Now you got a job to do. Does the Lord need me and you to save his people? Am I, is it dependent on me? Absolutely not. But it pleased him that's the way he's going to do it. I wish I was a better speaker. I wish all my points made more sense. I wish I was better looking. I wish I had a smoother voice and not, not the accent that I have. This is the means the Lord's pleased to do. For after the wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. They didn't sit down and read their Bibles and figure him out. I keep saying that, and I hope mankind will hear me. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Not foolish preaching, by the foolishness of preaching. All them prophets that said, I just can't bear this. And he said, no, you can't. God does not give us more than we can handle. We can't handle nothing. That's what we need to get. And then he says, you can't handle it. I'm going to show you you can't handle it, and I'm going to show you that my grace is sufficient. Now get after it. He told him in Matthew 8, said, go therefore and teach all nations. Go make disciples. Preach the gospel to every creature is what Mark wrote, wasn't it? Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, black, white, old, young, Democrat, Republican. It don't make a difference. Whatever continent they're from, go preach to them. Everybody needs it. Oh, hear all ye nations. All right? He said, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I've commanded you. We've got a job to do. Just like Moses wrote. He lived all that and he wrote it. And then Jonah went through everything Jonah did, and then Jonah told you what Jonah was and what the Lord did. And he said, salvation to the Lord. And he wrote it down. We read it. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, Mark, go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, you believe, and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That work in this world may be a service to the Lord of condemnation in those that do not believe. And it may be one like Jonah where the whole county is saved. Could you imagine if the Lord saved every soul in San Diego County? The outcome's the Lord's. The work is the Lord's. The gospel is the Lord's. We need to go tell people. We need to preach to them, don't we? Paul said, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Both. To the one a savor of death unto death and to the other a savor of life unto life. And who's sufficient for these things? Nobody. And, and, and the first one that thinks they are, if they're used, they're going to be shown quickly that they're not. For we are not as many which are corrupt in the word of God, but as sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Just tell you what he says. 
Well, I don't like that. Well, I don't like that you don't like it, but I'm going to tell you what he says. I ought not say that. If he says it, I'm going to say it, as long as he's with me. If he sustains me. Maybe I'll chicken out if he takes his hand off of me, and I'll start kowtowing everything underneath the sun and start telling people what they want to hear. I pray God keeps me. He's got a work to do because the work's done. Isn't it? Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 4, and he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessel, that the excellency, this whole thing's orchestrated this way, that the excellency and the power may be of God and not of us. It's just proof, <laughs> outright proof. It ain't me and it ain't man that men's so prone to follow. It's God that does it. It is. The work's done. So we're given a job to tell everybody that the work's done because... All the work's finished. There in our text, John 17, verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. While we're here on this earth, we don't have to pray to be delivered from sicknesses. We don't pray to be delivered from persecutions. We don't pray to be delivered from all these crafty, churchy things that we've been taught to pray for and all that stuff, but from sin. Isn't that right? Lord, keep us from evil. Keep us from ourselves. Keep us from sin. Is that how he taught us how to pray? From the evil one, too, isn't it? That's a believer's joy. And that's the only way somebody's going to be happy. If they're happy in themselves, it's going to prove to be not happiness. It's going to be a false hope, and they're going to be ashamed if they're looking to what they've done and their knowledge and their studying and their church attendance and all the churchy things they did before and all this other garbage and junk and their own righteousness is what it is. They're going to come up short. They're going to be ashamed. A believer's joy is that the Lord's done it all. He's paid for all sin and he sanctified his people and they're as holy as ever going to be right now. And he did it. He's our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. And he bought us. <laughs> I'm not my own. I'm his. Bought by his blood. That makes believers happy. He said, I want my joy to be in you. That's joy. That's comfort, isn't it? Verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I thought of that anointing oil of Moses. The Lord told him how to make it, and he said, don't you dare let anybody make it again. Don't you go home with the recipe and recreate it. Don't do it. He was plain about it, wasn't he? And he said, now you go around and you put the oil on that candlestick. That's mine. And you go put the oil on that, ta that table for the showbread. That's mine. And you go put the oil over here. That's mine. And whatever that oil touched, it was the Lord's. That means it was sanctified. It was set apart for his use. That oil, whenever it touched it, wasn't a down payment that it could be the Lord's in the future after 50 short payments. It wasn't that someday it was going to be the Lord's. Or if it tried real hard, it had the opportunity to be the Lord's. As soon as that oil touched it, it was his. It was holy. It was sanctified, set apart, different. It might have been in this world, but it wasn't of the world. It was God's. Right then. Why did he do such a thing? When that blood of Christ, when he applies it and it touches a sinner, that sinner's completely his. It's holy. It's without blame. It, 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 he owns it, and it's for his service. He's got a job to do. Now, maybe that candlestick all hit did was hold candles. An inanimate object just held candles. The table just held up some showbread. 
I don't know what that job is. Pinky finger does something than a big toe does, doesn't it? Heart does something different. Kidneys do something else. Everything's got a different job. They got jobs to do. Why? Work's done. He set us apart, didn't he? He sanctified them. He says, sanctify them through thy truth, through thy word. Verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world. Did he, was, was, was Christ sent into this world to do something? Did he do it? He sent us to do something. He said, I got a people out there. I know so because this earth's still spinning. The sun's come up today, and if it comes up tomorrow, he's got sheep out there that don't know him yet, and I need to go tell them that the, work, the, that the work's done. He's going to sanctify them. As, after the same manner, as thou hast sent me in the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself. How are they going to be sanctified? He's about to go to that cross and sanctify himself. And he's our sanctification. And any man that, I don't care if they agree with me on 99.999% of something, and they say, you've got to sanctify yourself, they're taking Christ's work, saying it's not good enough, and they can do it themselves, and they might as well be guilty of the whole law. That's what Paul said, right? That's a damnable heresy. In case somebody didn't understand what I meant, that's a damnable heresy. He said, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through truth. Who's the truth? <laughs> they didn't say what? Christ is the truth. He said, I'm sanctifying myself. They're going to be sanctified through me. He's our sanctification. If man believes he does it, that's what he preaches. If he believes Christ does it, he preaches what Christ said right there. <laughs> it's plain. It's in English. Christ set himself apart, and the Father set us apart because we're in him. He did it. Neither pray I for these alone. This is beautiful. We'll close on it. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Could you imagine if you heard him? You heard his voice with your ear, with the hearing of the ear. And he said, I pray for him, Lord. I've kept them, keep them. I've sanctified, sanctify them. I came here to do something. I got something for them to do. Now you keep them, protect them from evil and sustain them all the way to the end until they serve my purpose and then bring them to me where I am. World War III is breaking out. I don't care. <laughs> That's joyful, isn't it? Now, when we're going to get sad, when we walk out that door and we see the world, think about the world, smell the world, <laughs> worry about the world, look at ourselves. Oh, I hope you don't pass a mirror. I'll get real depressed on that one. When we look to him because the work's done, that makes me want to do my job he gave me to do, preach, because the work's done. Isn't it? I hope that's a joy to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your prayer. Prayer of our intercessor, our king, our Lord. Thank you for allowing us to read it. Lord, let us dwell on these things. And not look to providence or circumstance or nonsense of this world. Knowing that we're in it. Keep us here till the trials and the providence that you've been pleased to give us is accomplished our brothers and sisters hear of Christ's finished work his person who he is 
what a joyful thing it is to tell of him. Oh, thank you for this forgiveness, our redemption, our sanctification, the righteousness that we're made in Christ. Thank you for his faithfulness. Forgive us for what we are. So quick to grab a hold of this world instead of be used in it. Thank you for our brethren, those that you've equipped equally. And that so many of these trials are for them, for them, for us. Knowing we're being used that way, Lord, and the things that you've said in us and you've kept us here, make that joyful in us and in our brethren. The trials they suffer, give them comfort in it. Knowing it's for our this whole body. We're thankful. It's because of Christ we are. Amen. All right.